You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. So welcome to Rail City. My name is Nathan, and I am one of the leaders uh, that serve here. I am the uh, campus operations person for Rail City. Uh, and yeah, if you are new here, I just want to let you know, hey, you are welcomed here, and I'm so glad they were able to join us here this Sunday. Uh, a little bit about myself. I have been engaged for about eight months now to my fiance Christina. Let's go. She's over there. You wave hi. Yeah, uh, uh, nice. <laughs> Sorry, it's through under the bus. But anyways, um, yeah, we've been engaged, and it's nice because throughout this time, uh, I have been reflecting how God has been faithful uh, to us, how He's bringing us through. And also the different ways that, uh, that I've grown uh, as a person and, and individually. And it's funny, one of the things that I realized, uh, one of the ways I realized I've grown is through what I wear, actually. <laughs> now, for some of you couples, you might be able to relate to this. But I know for myself, when I entered into a relationship with Christina, uh, I, I didn't really care what I wear. You know, high school to Bible college, I wear sweats, I wear hoodies. I'm a simple man. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> But slowly, as I began to see Christina over Christmases and birthdays, like pieces and parts of my outfits were changing now. Oh, okay, I'm dressing nicer. All right, cool, cool. <laughs> so what I realized was that when I entered into a relationship with Christina, I put off my old clothes and I put on the new. And I look better. Come on. And so what is interesting, <laughs> what is interesting is that... Uh, in the letter of Ephesians, Paul writes something similar uh, to this nature. He writes something similar. He talks about when you're essentially in a relationship with Jesus, by the Spirit, we put off our old selves and we put on the new. We put off the old and we put on the new. And this is very important that we dive into because for how he designs the letter of Ephesians is that the first half he talks about the gospel, right? He talks about the good news. How through Jesus, he, he died for our sins and we have been saved. By that, we enter into a new family and we have a new identity. And this is very important that we get on first because if we don't, we can get the order wrong. All right? We don't do things so that we can have our identity that we're saved. Rather, because of our identity, because we have been saved, this is why we do things. And so we head into the second half of the letter and where he talks about this idea of putting on and putting off. And for context, uh, yeah, and in the honor of reading God's word, let's all stand so that we can read together. We believe that the Bible uh, is the word of God and that he actually inspired these words to be written. And so we're going to start at Ephesians 4, verse 17 for context. And I'll be reading out of the ESV, and it says this. Now I say this and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, practice, uh, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus to put off your old self, 
which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, we'll move down to verse 30, and it tells us this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Lord Jesus, as we read these words, may it wash over us at this moment. That by your spirit, Lord, you'll speak to every individual heart that is here. And by your spirit, may you lead and guide the words I say today. In your name, amen. amen. All right, so you may be seated. So as we kind of break down the passage, uh, we have a few things uh, that we'll be going through. And so far, we've seen the many ways in which Paul uh, really gives a description of the Christian life. He talks about how, for us, how can we be truthful, right? He talks about how we can deal with anger, like what David Wood preached, or how we can be generous, like what Paul preached. And last week, we know that Cam gave us a, a good word on encouragement and how our words actually matter. And so for us, it's easy, you know, just to kind of read this and have a checklist. Okay, uh, be truthful, yes. Be generous, yes. All right, I wasn't angry. Okay, I'm good. And to think, you know, us as Christians, we can just check it off on a list. But, but what's interesting is that with the passage we just read, there's something that catches our attention, something that should catch our attention. I know for myself, when I was paying attention to these words, oh, my back was straight up. And I was like, okay, let's think about this for a moment. And we can see it in verse 30. In verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And it leads us to this idea that the Spirit can grieve. The Spirit can grieve. Whoa. Let's think about this for a moment. You're telling me the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you know, the one that that gives life and sustains life, the one that, that brought Jesus back from the dead, and the one that is actually with us here right now, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, that very same spirit can be grieved? Well, yes. This isn't the first time this verse was used uh, in this passage, but uh, it recalls Isaiah chapter 60, verse 10, and where the Israelites, uh, and they're in this covenant with God, where where. Even after God has done all these crazy things, you know, brought them out of Egypt, part of the Red Sea, and has sustained them and brought them through, that even through all of that, they still rebelled. And in Isaiah, it talks about that in Isaiah's, or sorry, in uh, Israel's rebellion, the Holy Spirit of God was grieved. The Spirit was saddened. The Spirit was saddened. And the rebellion, the Spirit within us, within our rebellion, can be saddened as well. There's this movie I recently watched. Uh, it's very low-key, uh, not that popular, but I, it was really good. It's called Beautiful Boy. And it's actually based on a true story, between uh, a relationship between a father and a son. 
And so this uh, father and son, they were tight. They had a good relationship. They were close. Uh, they had, a, you know, their open relationship and uh, would talk and felt comfortable. Um, but over time, as the, uh, as the kid would grow up, he was introduced to drugs throughout high school. And slowly, you could see as he's finding these, these new ways of describing himself, he begins to rebel against his dad. And slowly, he spirals out into, uh, into becoming a drug addict. And his dad, in one of the scenes of the movie, his dad, he opens up his journal, his son's journal, and he's reading through everything he's, everything he's been going through when he's tried drugs, when he's feeling like, oh, you know what? This is really something that's helping me through. It makes me feel good when everything's at chaos. And in his rebellion, he's seeing all these things. The dad's reading these words, and he's heartbroken. He's sad. He's grieving. He's grieving at what his son is doing. And in a very real way, we as well can grieve the Spirit of God by doing what is contrary to his character. The Spirit that we're talking about is actually the very source of holiness, the very source of holiness itself. But we have to understand that the Spirit. You know, it's not this phantomless, you know, thing that's out there, but the Spirit is actually personal and relational and actually present with you right here, right now. He's not this robot in the sky that can't relate, but he has emotions. He's personal, he's relational, and he's with us. And while, yes, the Spirit of God can be saddened, yes, the Spirit of God can grieve, but the good news is, He'll never leave. He will never leave. The Spirit never leaves, but always stays. The Spirit never leaves, but always stays. You see, the same Spirit that is with us right now will never leave us. He will actually bring us into a future with Jesus. Even though he can be grieved, he will never leave. And we continue on in the verse that we see. If we continue on the line of thought, by whom you were sealed, for the day of redemption. The day of redemption. And so it's actually a callback to we see in Ephesians 1, verse 13 to 14. And I'm going to read it out in the message because I think it, it captures wonderfully the reality that, that we do have the Spirit with us. In the message version, it says this, It is in Christ that you once heard the truth and believed it, the message of your salvation. Found yourselves home free, Signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This down payment from God is the first installment of what's coming. A reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us. A praising and glorious life. What it means to be sealed is that once you put your faith in Jesus, the Spirit is with you. And as the Spirit is with you, he'll actually bring you along until Christ will return once again and make all things new. He will make all things new. Maybe for some of you need to know that today, that assurance. Maybe you find yourself in a cycle of addiction, struggle, sin. You question yourself, man, Lord, are you here with me? Holy Spirit, are you going to bring me through? Every day his grace meets us. And every day the Spirit is with us. Uh, there's a few pastors that I know. 
um, who have an incredible testimony. And uh, as a married couple, um, uh, the wife began to have uh, some mental health issues. And they began to go through a really dark time to the point where as they're going through this time, uh, she, she lost her faith. She said, hey, you know, I, just, I don't believe, uh, believe in God. And what was interesting was that uh, the husband was a pastor and was just walking, you know, alongside her through this, this challenge. And as they were sharing their testimony and I was listening, they said the most helpful thing, it, it wasn't a Bible verse. It wasn't uh, this wise saying that, that could solve all your problems or just this one prayer to, to pray it away. But the one thing that they noted that was actually very helpful was reassurance. It was reassurance. That the husband looked at the wife and said, hey, look, I'm not going anywhere. We're going to walk through it together, and I am not going anywhere. And I think this is the same for us today. That when we face the challenges of life, whether in marriage, friendships, sin, maybe the lifelessness of work or school, and you just think, oh, man, Lord, how are you going to bring me through? The beautiful thing is the Spirit looks at you and he says, I am walking with you. I'm not going anywhere. I am not going anywhere. Some of you here need to hear that assurance. Maybe some of you here need to hear, look, God is not this robot that's out there, but he actually has emotions. And that by our sin, we can actually grieve the spirit. But whatever it may be, we know that the spirit is with us and he'll never leave. And it paints a real picture of how the spirit is personal. He is personal. He can be grieved, but he will never leave. But in this idea of grieving the spirit, practically speaking, okay, We see this. What exactly does it look like? What exactly does it look like to grieve the spirit? In this specific context, we see that God's heart is actually saddened at the way we can treat each other, the way in which we can harmfully treat each other that actually saddens the God that we we live with. And it leads us to this idea that, that the spirit can be saddened by how we treat one another. Paul, continue, Paul will continue to tell us, hey, not to grieve the Spirit. And so what does he tell? He tells us to, to let go of a few things here. Let, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So we're going to go through this list uh, of each word that Paul's been saying. But as a side note, as we go through these, uh, these words, uh, the original language in which the Bible was, was written, the, the New Testament, it was Greek. And so as it's translated to English, uh, there's a little bit of a few differences uh, that we'll see from the English words as compared to what I'll be explaining here today. And again, you should remember the order. We don't do these things so that we'll be saved, but man, it's because we're saved, this is why we do things. We live out of our identity. It's very important. So the first word we see here is bitterness. Bitterness saddens the spirit. And this is defined uh, as looking back in the past and holding resentment. You know, you're just holding resentment and you're just uh, keeping account. uh, You know, you hold the grudge of the wrong things that have happened to you. You know, you reimagine scenarios in your head where someone has wronged you and you just let that bitterness fester 
You know, or maybe you think, oh man, why didn't I just say this in this argument and I would have won and completely destroyed them? Oh, dang it. And you're showering and you're like, oh God, I should have said that. Okay, bitterness. Do you hold a grudge? This is the first word that Paul tells us. The second is wrath and anger. Wrath and anger. It saddens the spirit. Now, while they're, they're similar in nature, wrath refers to uh, this kind of this rage that is deep within you, and you're just ready to explode. Do people feel like they're walking around eggshells with you? You know, are you just ready to, to blow up at small things that are happening around you? And in a similar manner, anger points to ill will. You just have this gnawing hostility towards other people around you. Do you explode? Are you hostile? You may think to yourself, hey, you know, I'm in the clear. I don't really act that way. But what's interesting, in our day and age today, our words count, whether spoken or typed. Comments that we can leave in our social media, they count as our words. Do our words express anger or wrath? The third one we see is clamor. Clamor sounds the spirit. Some translations call it brawling. Uh, so I grew up with a video game called Super Smash Bros. Brawl. And so I thought, saw this, I was like, okay, it must mean physical fighting. Uh, but no, it doesn't mean physical fighting, but rather uh, what it means is, uh, do you yell? <laughs> As you blow, are you, are you just yelling at people? Do you have road rage? I know for myself, sometimes when I drive out the parking lot, I think, man, Lord, what a wonderful Sunday. What a good, good time at church. Someone cuts me off, like, hey, X, Y, Z. Like, whoa, you know, <laughs> uh, clamor. <laughs> is it within you? Do you yell? Is, is, there, is there this moment of just exploding? The fourth one we see is slander. Slander is abusive speech that's either pointed towards other people or towards God. And it's common. We could see this within the workplace, literally ingrained within the workplace. And there's a phrase that people call it, busting each other's blank. I'm not going to finish it. But still, <laughs> it's ingrained within workplaces. Even in school, maybe some of you were in high school, this roasting culture, right? You know what it's like to, to roast each other and, and use everything and say everything you can to bring another person down. Slander saddens the spirit. The final one we see here is malice. It's malice. And malice is defined as an attitude or action which intends to harm another's neighbor. You know, you, you're just ready to take delight at looking at someone you don't like. Go through suffering. Go through a hard time. Do you have this attitude that's just threatening to other people? You're just ready to laugh at someone's suffering. Now, what's alarming is that this list that we just saw Paul gives us a very real description of these things and how it can show up within our lives. And sometimes, I, I know for myself, there's, I can create this division in my head where I think, oh, hey, you know, I'm not so bad, all right? I think of this person over here who does this thing that, you know, is just way too crazy, but hey, I should be okay. But, but no, Paul challenges this. He challenges that we put off these things because this is not who you are. As a child of God, if we put, things, we put them off, and the spirit can be saddened in these ways. 
like what Ken mentioned, I love the, the description he gave. Our words have the power to destroy. And so the text moves from, from grieving spirit and how we do that. Okay, well, what do we do? What do we do? That's a great question. But I think there's a better question that we can ask. And that is, who do we follow? Of course, we follow God and the commands in which he gives us. And that his commands actually come from his character. But in that, as we follow God, we actually keep in step with the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. Daryl Johnson, who is a, who's a local scholar within the Lower Mainline, we've quoted him so many times. Um, but one of the things that he says is that the previous list that we saw tells us how we grieve the Spirit. But the next things that we see is how we keep in step with the Spirit. How we keep in step with the Spirit. And the first one, be kind to one another. Verse 32 tells us to be kind to one another. And the kindness that is mentioned here comes from God. When we call, we have a call back to Ephesians 2 verse 5. It describes that even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were made alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. God shows his kindness through Jesus. Through his kindness, we are able to experience this great love that we see through Jesus. And as we walk, maybe walk in a gracious attitude for one another. You know, and it doesn't come from nowhere, right? It's not just this outer thing that's out there or it's not like a Disney movie, you know, where you just... Oh, okay, I'm going to look within myself and really believe and then magically it'll just happen. <laughs> but we have to understand that with God's commands, right, when he's telling us to be kind, it doesn't come out of anywhere, but it comes from his very character. As God is kind, as we experience his kindness, we can go out there and be kind to others. And this should transform us. Romans 2 verse 4 tells us that God's kindness leads us to repentance. His kindness leads us to repentance. You know, it's not like we're on a cooking show and God is like Gordon Ramsay, you know, clapping your face, come on, do better. What are, you, what are you doing? Come on, do better. No, he's not doing that. Because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It leads us to turn away from our sin and to turn to him. The second word that we see is tenderhearted. And tenderhearted, uh, another word that can describe it is compassionate. It means to be compassionate. Do you sympathize with others? Are you able to be compassionate for one another? Are you sensitive with the needs of what other people uh, have? And I know uh, for Jesus, it was the same thing when he saw people. When he went out and he saw the crowds, they were like sheep lost without a shepherd. That when he saw the outcast, when he saw the poor, when he saw those that were sick, he was moved, he was compassionate, and he saw that they had a need, and he met that need. 
by healing them, by being with them. My professor, uh, he has this quote, you know, he said, only if you knew the suffering that someone had experienced, you would not dare add on to it. Now it comes to us. You know, instead of looking at someone and to demonize them, demonize them because of a difference of opinion or laugh at someone going through a genuine struggle or concern. But before we debate online, as the climate can be sometimes, remember, there's a real person on the other side of the screen that's going through their own challenges in life. When we look at them, can we look at them with eyes of compassion and sympathy, with the eyes of Christ? The final section that we see, uh, and, and it's one that holds a ton of weight, and that is to be forgiving to one another. Just as Christ forgave us. Just as Christ forgave us. You see, when you have experienced the transformative power of God's forgiveness, we can take that forgiveness, live in it, be in it, have union with it, and from there, as we live life, forgive others who have wronged us. We can forgive those who have hurt us. Forgiveness comes from the very fact that God has forgiven us. Now, there are some common myths about forgiveness that I do want to go through. And I think it's important to mention. First one is this. First myth. Forgive and forget. Or don't let this person live rent-free in your head. Unfortunately, that is not possible. I understand what they're trying to say of like, hey, you can let it go and not hold it against them. But you have to understand, God has actually given us memories. And so in a way, we actually can't forget. We literally can't because God has given us memories. The second myth is this. When you forgive, hey, you'll feel better. Sometimes there are moments within our lives when the hurt is so bad, every time you recall them, it's painful. It's too painful and it hurts. Sometimes you can feel better or sometimes you can feel nothing. Let's be real here. The third one is this. Okay, well, forgiveness must mean that you have to move back to a destructive relationship. That is not true either. You know, there are times where really a healthy relationship cannot come out of someone because they have experienced, uh, you know, too much emotional damage or just are incapable socially. But you see, what forgiveness does is that it opens a possibility to reestablishing relationship. But it doesn't guarantee it. It doesn't guarantee it. And the last one is this, is that if you forgive, you're just condoning wrong behavior. If you forgive, you're just letting them slide. But we, what we have to understand is that forgiveness does not deal with guilt or innocence. Justice deals with guilt or innocence. What forgiveness does is that we can look to another person and actually not hold that offense against them, but we can forgive them. To forgive doesn't mean that it's okay. Now, I want to be sensitive in this moment here. Because for some of us, there have been some very dark moments 
within her life. Maybe some sort of abuse or trauma. Maybe you experienced at the hands of another. And I just want to be here in this moment and, and just say, first of all, that was wrong. And I'm sorry that happened. That, that shouldn't have happened. And the second thing is this, is that you don't have to walk through it alone. We have wonderful leaders here at this church. We have wonderful staff, people who are safe, people who are trusted, and people who you can go to. You don't have to walk through this alone, but you can be with others. And overall, when we look at forgiveness, forgiveness is not an emotion, it's a decision. It is a decision. It's a decision that is informed by the way we have experienced God's forgiveness. Forgiveness, I also think, is, is a miracle. Uh, there's this story. Um, June 17th, 2015, a man named Dylan Roof uh, was uh, entered into a church where they had a Bible study. And as they're running this Bible study, he pulled out a gun and he killed nine people. He did this in hopes to start uh, a race war. And it was tragic. Nine people died. And as they went into court, and the families uh, of those who, who lost loved ones were describing their experience. Man, they lost mothers, they lost fathers, they lost brothers, and they lost sisters. One of them said this, that, that, that every fiber in my being hurts. As they were describing the loss of their loved ones. But yet what happened next shocked the world that every family that went up there to testify uh, that the loss that they, um, that they had, even in that, they forgave him. They forgave him. And it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. After everything that's happened, after what's been taken away, but when you look at these families, these are families that have been transformed by the forgiveness God. Forgiveness is a miracle. My friends, as we, and uh, I would like to invite the band as we, uh, as we come up here, because uh, we're closing and, and starting communion, but my friends, as we continue on in life, let's remember the gospel. You have been saved. You are a child of God. This is your identity. And because of that, because of the forgiveness in which we have experienced, we can go out with the spirit to be empowered, to forgive others, to be kind-hearted, to be compassionate to one another. And it's important for us as a community because the things that, uh, that we have to put off, they, they bring disunity to this community, to, to, the, to our families and friendships around us. But I want you to know that even in that, maybe for some of you here, you've been convicted. Oh, this week, you know, I've blown up. I've said some things I shouldn't have. I've acted in a way that, that wasn't right. But even in this, I, again, I want to remind you, some of you need to hear this. You are forgiven. You're forgiven. 
Some of you are too hard on yourself and you forget to look at the cross and what Jesus has done and where we can find peace and hope in all of this. We've experienced God's forgiveness so we can go out and do the same. And so as we enter into communion, if I can invite the ushers to, to come up as well. Jesus, as he was walking with his cross, he had his body broken and his blood shed, that in this, the penalty of sin could be paid. And as it was paid, it's made a way in which God can forgive us. And not only that, but he can show his great kindness and compassion towards those he died for. Now, there, there's other sin that hasn't been mentioned here in the text. Uh, it was more so relationally. But let's look to the cross today, my friends. Let's look to the cross and see that it is enough and that the Spirit lives within you today and will bring you all the way through for the rest of your life, slowly making you more like the person of Jesus. Let's remember this as we come to the table. Lord Jesus, I thank you for my friends that are here. I thank you, God, for the way in which you've made them to be. I thank you, God, for your grace that meets us every day. Lord, we pray that you remind us the gospel, the good news in which we have in you. I even pray for those who, who might not even know you but are having questions. I pray that uh, by your spirit, you just prompt them, Lord, to, to step out and to have these conversations more about who you are. And that as we take communion, we can find full assurance knowing and the work that you've done is enough. Thank you, God, for this thing. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.